For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. You are the lifter of my head. Hi, and welcome to The Rock Podcast. In our study of 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Apostle Paul forewarns us of the difficult times and people that we will face living in the last days. He then gives us powerful exhortations on how to live in order not to be sidetracked by the circumstances and people around us. Let's join Pastor Ross now with a message entitled, Wisdom for End Times Living. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're picking up in some exciting ideas here in the scriptures. Uh, Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, we just bow our hearts before your presence here. We like to pause and ask the Holy Spirit to clear our, our minds and our hearts to make room for what you have for us. Lord, we're we're your servants, you are our Father, you know best, and your will is where we find great joy. So help us to come closer to you and be transformed into the image uh, of Christ through the hearing and the doing of your great word. It's in your name we pray, amen. amen. Dear Timothy is living every pastor's nightmare. Uh, He's pastoring an unhealthy church, as we've been talking about, with lots of problems, a church filled with tension and stress and division and fighting, and the source of most of the church problems, as we've been seeing, or what the commentators call the Ephesian opponents, who Paul simply calls ferocious wolves. These are former leaders from the church there at Ephesus where young Timothy is pastoring who have, quote, wandered away from the truth of the gospel. Now, from their perspective, they claim they've been enlightened, but from the Bible's perspective, they have been deceived. Um, quote, they, these are men who distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them after them, away from Pastor Timothy, away from Pastor Paul, and after them and their false ideologies. Now, their teaching, which is surprising, was quite popular. They were telling people what they wanted to hear, basically. And Paul said, it's spreading like some flesh-eating bacteria. I mean, he called it gangrene, but you get the point. And so they were having some degree of success there. It was tough times for the church and 30-something Pastor Timothy, who was in the middle of it all. Now, it might have been a different story if the Apostle Paul were able to come to the rescue with his apostolic authority, for it uh, was through Paul that that church was founded. And so if he could, he would come and rescue Timothy and put things in place. You know the, the temperament of the Apostle Paul, but no can do this time because the beloved Apostle Paul is locked up on death row, the Mamertine prison there in Rome, and he's not able to be there in person, but 
the Holy Spirit is able to throw Timothy a, a lifeline or two, for the Lord knows those who are his, and he manages through Paul, who was chained, but the word of God is not chained, as he loved to say, uh, from prison to enable Paul to write a, a four-chapter, personalized, God-breathed pep talk to Timothy, which we call Second Timothy. An entire letter filled with helpful pointers, invaluable insights, incredible encouragements for a guy who's really over his head, feeling inadequate, not known for his natural boldness. Uh, and here's a letter for Timothy and Timotheus, all of us who often feel overwhelmed with the task before us to live as Christ would have us live in a world that's uh, very hostile at times to God's truth. And so Second Timothy is a great book for us. And so uh, here comes another round here in chapter 3 another round of pointers, how to deal with those who oppose you and then uh, how to also uh, help the church to get through this time. So here we go. Verses one, one and following. But mark this, Timothy. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Well, let's pause there because that's quite a list uh, to consider. Amen? You know, Paul is famous for what is called vice lists. And they're in Romans 1, they're in 1 Timothy's chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 1, and here again. But as you read on, it's not just the Holy Spirit's general description of the human condition in the last days, though it is. Uh, particularly, it is referencing the false teachers there at Ephesus, that they, these are the kinds of men that Timothy is dealing with. So if I were taking notes, number one, pointer number one this round would be, uh, Timothy, prepare your mind for action. That's actually a scripture from Peter, 1 Peter, but it fits here. Uh, be a realist, Timothy. Get your head out of the sand and, and welcome to the last days. This is what's going on. 18 ugly descriptions of evil. And Paul really wants Timothy to get it through his head for a reason. He's saying, mark this very strong preface. I want you to get this. I want you to burn this into your soul. I want you to live in reality, biblical reality, not in your ideal Christian uh, world. This is what you're up against. You have done nothing wrong. This is what the Spirit is saying is going on. And I think that God does this because to be forewarned is to be forearmed. 
it's always very helpful to know a storm is coming because you can prepare when the storm comes. You've already heard about it. You've been thinking about it. And you've taken necessary action to help get through that storm. Uh, spiritually, I think it's the same way. Uh, writing to the Thessalonians, there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, here's what Paul said to them. He said, you guys, we sent men to you to strengthen and encourage you in your faith Listen, so that no one would be unsettled by these troubles. For you know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it came to pass exactly how we said it would. So in other words, you don't need to be unsettled. We told you when you accept Christ in this world, there's going to be trouble. Not everybody's going to throw you a, a party. I mean, they're, they're, you're, you're, uh, your mom and dad might become angry about it. Uh, your employer will be upset. I mean, you've done nothing wrong. Brace yourself. When you become a Christian, things may get tough. And so you prepare for that. And that's what he's telling Timothy here. Take a look at, kid, what you're up against. This is the last days. Welcome to the last days. And these are the kinds of people that you are dealing with in your church. These are former leaders from the church. Now, uh, it's just helpful to brace yourself. Uh, somewhere over the Iowa Plains at 30,000 feet a couple weeks ago, uh, the flight attendants on our flight were told to be seated and to fasten their seatbelts. And the plane began to shake, rattle, and roll. Um, he climbed, the pilot did climb to 40,000 feet. He came on, and when he got to 40,000 feet, the plane would fall and slide and tilt. Not fun. Not fun. I really, I, Barb said, I, it just feels like the plane, the next time is just going to, tip over. It didn't seem you could look at the wings and the wings were taking a beating. The pilot on the way out told one passenger that it was the second worst turbulence he had ever had in his career. I talked to Pastor Adam after and I was like, Pastor Adam, wow, what were you thinking? He goes, yeah, I know. He goes, I was just singing worship songs and uh, I was praying like all of us were. And, and crying in the fetal position. <laughs> he was not doing that. Here's what he said and, and why I'm using this illustration. He said, remember at Dulles International, the pilot came on and said, folks, somewhere over the plains of Iowa, we're in for choppy weather. Sadly, he said, it's going to be a choppy trip the whole way, but it's going to be intense over Iowa. Ah, Adam said, that's what I kept reminding myself of. He told us about this. He values his own life too. you know. So he knew it was coming and he must have thought we were going to survive through this, right? And so that brought me comfort. And when he was saying that, that's exactly the thought I had the whole time was going back to, hey, folks, we're going to have a little choppy ride. Remain buckled and calm and trust the pilot. I guess that's what you have to do, right? Timothy, listen, here's reality. Turbulent times are here. 
Because you're going to find out, he says in the last days, at first glance, at, by the way, it should be up here for you. He says in terrible times in the last days, but he'll go on talking about the current situation so you know the last days, yes, to come and are here now. So Timothy, you need to be ready. The Spirit has said that false teachers are coming. These are the kinds of men we're going to deal with. Um, some will abandon the faith. There will be spiritual deception and the intensification of evil. This world biblically never gets better. Biblically, the prophecies are that it gets worse, that there are theological deceptions on the increase and moral decay and degeneration. That is what the world biblically has to look forward to. But the next great revival, the next great revival is under the Antichrist. The next great outpouring of a spirit is the false prophets' counterfeit signs and wonders. This is not a, a world that's on its way up and improving. But mark this, Timothy, the word of God says in the last times. And folks, if it was the last times then, <laughs> it is so the last times now. <laughs> Amen? I mean, listen to this. Hebrews 1 and verse 2. In these last days, God has spoken, us through his, spoken to us through his son. 1 Peter 1.20. Christ has appeared in these last days for our sakes. 1 John 2.18. Dear children, we are in the last hour. And as I like to say, if, we're, if it was the last hour 2,000 years ago, we are in the last seconds, right? And by the time I'm done with this sermon, who knows? A trumpet could sound, and boom, we're in his presence. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, 1 Corinthians 15, 51 says it'll be like that. It'll be like that. Are you ready? Are you ready? <laughs> Didn't hear a whole lot of response there, so it's like, okay, let's change the sermon. <laughs> now, the word terrible there, in the Greek means terrible. <laughs> it, it, means, it means hard to deal with, dangerous, savage. In fact, in Matthew 8, that famous demoniac who comes down to meet Jesus on the shore there, he describes his name as legion, for we are many. The, that word terrible is used of him. Timothy, mark this down, write it down. Don't live in a dream world. There are going to be some terrible people. Terrible things are going to happen. And, and the church is not exempt. It's equipped, but it's not exempt. As you have seen, Timothy, Phygelus sat there. Hermogenes sat there. Uh, Hymenaeus sat there. Philetus sat there. The church is not exempt. It's equipped to handle it. So listen, Timothy, this is what I hear him saying. Buckle your seatbelt. Remain calm. We've been told about this. And trust the pilot. Amen? Amen? Well, you know, I like taking a look at these words here. I mean, these words, unbelievable. Uh, one commentator pointed out, and I agree with him, and I'm going to make the case for you, that lovers of themselves is, is the mother's sin, and all 17 vices are her babies. 
okay? Because James chapter three and verse 16 says, where you have self-centered ambition, there you will find chaos in every evil practice. Well, there's a lot of chaos and a lot of evil practicing going on there. Why? Because the first name in the list there, they love themselves. They are self-centered people. And where you find self-centered people, you find a lot of upset. Now, Warren Wiersbe on this great list of yuckiness. In this universe, there is God and there are people and things. We should worship God, love people, and use things. But if we start with worshiping ourselves, we will ignore God and be loving things and using people. This is a formula for a miserable life, yet it characterizes many people today. The worldwide craving for things is just one evidence that people's hearts have turned away from God and toward themselves instead. So let's look at the list, if, if you dare, with me, because it's so nasty. But it, let, let me prove the premise that this is the... I got a picture of a Trojan horse. Uh, the Trojan horse is self-love. Now, the Trojan horse was, as the story's told, that the, the Greeks uh, devised this horse, hollowed it out, and put their special forces in the belly. And then they got in their ships and sailed off outside of the city of Troy. So the city of Troy opened the gates and said, look what the Greeks left. Let's pull this in as our trophy. So they pull in the, the horse statue into their midst and out from the belly of the horse come all the little soldiers that do them in. And really, we'll go back to the verse. Self-love. Self-love carries with it every vile practice. So the next time you're thinking of having a little me moment, <laughs> just read the list because <laughs> that's where it comes from. Apparently these guys were singing the, the hit song in the 80s, 1985. It was called The Greatest Love of All. And some of the lyrics go, learning to love yourself. It is the greatest love of all. <laughs> now, most people don't know that Jesus wrote some new lyrics for the song. And I'll share them gladly, since you're all so excited to hear them. <laughs> Learning to deny yourself, to die to self, to lose yourself for Christ's sake is the greatest love of all. In fact, in Luke chapter 14 and verse 16, he said, unless a man hates his life, no use following me. Unless you hate your father and mother, unless you hate your son or your daughter, Jesus speaking, Luke 14, you can't be my disciple. Hyperbole, that's what Jesus is doing. He's saying, the kind of love that you will show the son of God who created everything, including you, the kind of love and admiration and obedience that you will show me will make all your other loves, including the most tender and dearest relationships on earth, look like hate in comparison to your devotion 
to the God who gives life to all things. Unless you hate yourself. These guys don't love. They're not lovers of God. They're not lovers of the church. They're not lovers of humanity. They're not lovers of good deeds. They're not lovers of the scriptures. They love themselves. And let me prove it to you that now all these little beastly things are just uh, coming from the sin of loving yourself. Now, if you love yourself, of course you love money because how else can I get what I want, right? (laughs) And then if you love yourself, of course you're boastful and proud because uh, I'm all that, you know? I'm smarter than Paul and I'm more forgiving than Jesus, right? Uh, Abusive. Well, of course I love myself. I'm just using you to get what I love, right? Um, Disobedient to parents. This is a... This says that the self-loving soul is callous to the dearest and most tender of human bonds. Even mom's tears and dad's broken heart are to them objects of ridicule. It just doesn't matter to hardened hearts who love themselves. What about your wife and your babies? What about your husband? And the girls, who cares? I just love myself. It goes on. Um, Ungrateful. (laughs) I work hard for what I have. These two hands of mine, (laughs) you you know? Uh, So of course you're ungrateful. You're unthankful because why, why should you bother thanking God? You work so hard for everything you have. Bless your name. All right. Bless me. <laughs> unholy, unholy. I love myself and I determine what's right and wrong for me, okay? All right. Uh, without love. Well, of course you're without love because every ounce of compassion is being utilized to give me what I want. So your problem is hello, your problem. I'm busy. I'm <laughs> busy loving me, all right? And using all the resources I can find. All right, moving on. (laughs) Unforgiving. I love myself so much, and how dare you offend me? In this lifetime, you will not find forgiveness. Because why? Because I love myself so much. You don't invite me to that party? You're dead to me. You're dead to me. Unforgiving. Why? Because I love myself, and you hurt you hurt the most important person in my life. Me, okay? <laughs> All right. Some of you look like I'm talking about you. I'm not. Jeez, you guys look, you guys look a little, I need a little more volume, please. I need to hear me, All right. <laughs> I can't hear the beautiful tones of my own voice. I have a cold, and it just doesn't sound the same to me. Sorry if I blast you out. Without so, well, slanderous. Of course I love myself. Of course I gotta cut you down so I can feel better about myself. There can't be two prizes in the same room, right? You can't outshine me. You start to outshine me. Come on, man. I gotta cut you down to size. All right. Without self-control, 
I love myself, okay? And myself has needs, and those needs, I need them right now. Uh, brutal. I get what I want. And God help the soul who gets in between me and the object of my desire. Come on, you know people like this. Not lovers of good. Well, of course, I love myself. Good is what benefits me, so whatever. Treacherous. Treacherous. I love myself, and I must have what I want at any cost, okay? Uh, rash is reckless, and it just means give me what I want now. Doesn't matter. Uh, conceited. Me, myself, and I at your service. <laughs> you know, I'm all that. Um, Lover of pleasure. Uh, yeah. Lover of pleasure, what else would I love? Pleasure for moi. Come on. God made us that way, man. Come on. But look at the condition of it. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. In other words, everything in my world comes first, God. And if there's a scrap left over, I'll think about giving you a little bit of it because my true love is pleasure for me, not a love for you. And here's the part that gets me the most. Timothy, they're going to do it all under a religious guise. In other words, they're saying, praise the Lord. They're doing religious activities. He says they have a form of godliness. Oh, I'm a spiritual person. You know, they talk about the universe and the chakras and the auras and the vibes and, the, and even praising the Lord and the holy books and heaven and reincarnation and self-realization in the higher self. And you know what they're doing on the side? They're, they're sleeping around. They're sleeping around, having a form of godliness. I got the spiritual talk down, but I'm sleeping around. I'm smoking dope, and I'm stealing money from the register. They can talk the talk. They love the spirituality. But there's no oomph, there's no power, there's no answer to prayer, there's no regeneration, there's no power over sin, there's not a new life. The Pharisees, they knew the Bible more than anybody in this room, including myself, and they lived like that too. So Timothy, are you up to this? I'm just asking you, Timothy, are you living in the real world? Are you ready for this? Because this is reality. This is your world, bro. Your, your seatbelt on right now? Or are you living in some kind of dream world? It doesn't mean you become a cynical person. It means you become knowledgeable and discerning biblically. Right now, my seatbelt is buckled. My seatbelt's buckled. I pastor with a buckled seatbelt because I know and believe this is true. Timothy, steal yourself. 
Get ready for that. And act accordingly. So we go on. Next little paragraph. 5B, not surprisingly, (laughs) have nothing to do with them. They're the kind of guys who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women, loaded down with sins and swayed by all kinds of evil desires. They're always learning, but never able to, to acknowledge the truth. Now, just as Janes and Jambres, two Egyptian magicians back in Exodus, who opposed Moses, so also these men opposed the truth. Men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. They're not going to get very far because, as it was in the case of those guys back in Exodus chapter (laughs) 8, their folly, our guys, will be clear to everyone as well. So let's pause there. So he's saying, live in reality, brother. Uh, This is what you're up against. Prepare your mind for this. And here's now what I want you to do about it. Number two, nothing. (laughs) I want you to keep your distance, have nothing to do with them. Very interesting, because people will say, how Christian is that? And you know what your answer is, right? Very. It's very. Have nothing to do with them. And we're going to talk about that. But first, let's talk about what these bad guys were doing. All right? Their bad behavior, unscrupulous proselytizing of women. Now, not just any women. Proselytizing means to make a convert, right? So they were converting these women over to followers of them for a fee, right? So uh, not just any women, women who had been widowed, women who were wealthy and rich. First Timothy chapter six, we, we heard about that. And so they would worm their way in. How would they do it? They, would, they were deceptive, they were seductive, they were manipulators. Notice worm their way in. It's like slither their way in using what? Flattery, false promises. And here's what they did. They evangelized them with a false gospel. They saw they were loaded down with sins. That means you have a lot of fear and anxiety and guilt and shame issues. And and they had self-control issues, these women. They're lonely. They're living in a promiscuous society and they're falling. And these guys saw the need and evangelized them in reverse and used the fact that they were wanting to escape the shame and the guilt and the burden. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest. And they went in and said, come to me, all who are weary and have a lot of money, (laughs) weary and wealthy, and I will give you rest rest. How despicable. Luke 17, verse 1, the Lord Jesus speaking, he says, things that cause people to sin and to stumble must come. They're bound to happen, but woe to him through whom they happen. Did you get that? He said, these things are going to happen. They're going to happen. But woe to the soul who is involved in that kind of taking advantage, tripping people up. And and he said, whoa, whoa. When the Son of God says, whoa, whoa. (laughs) 
Amen? That was deep, okay? And then he closes, he says, you know what about them? Uh, they're always learning. You know, get out your books, ladies. We're going to talk about the seven layers of heaven. Or the, you know, they're always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And I think the fault there is on both sides. The guy's not teaching them the correct thing, so they can't come to the knowledge of the truth. But after a while, the person, the person knows that they're not going anywhere. But they continue because they're happy to be going nowhere. It's the heart. They never arrive at the knowledge. They become experts in spirituality, but never get to the simple truth that Jesus saves. And so perhaps there's a little occult going on there too, because Paul's mind goes to the Egyptian magicians in Pharaoh's courts. Now, when the 10 plagues are coming down and Moses and Aaron are saying, the Lord says, let my people go, they were doing some miracles. So they, you know, Aaron threw down his rod once, it turned into a snake. And Janus and Jambri say, hey, Pharaoh, don't listen to their message. See, that's where Paul's seeing that. Listen to us, follow us, and watch what we can do. We got power too. So they caused their rods to turn into snakes too by the power of the evil one. But the only problem was then Aaron's snake swallowed their snake. You saw the movie, right? <laughs> that was the best part. So then I love this. And Satan, Satan is just so predictable. He can only kind of imitate uh, and make things worse. So the, the, the Nile turns to blood a little bit and John Brace comes in and says, we can make it more bloody. <laughs> okay, can you make the blood go away? Uh, no, we can't do that. We can only make matters worse. <laughs> All right, so, so then the frogs come up. And, and it says the frogs drive the Egyptians crazy. It, they're in their kitchens and in their kneading bowls and in their beds. And then they're just climbing out of their clothes. And, and, and so in comes Janus and Jambres to Pharaoh. And they got two buckets and said, look what we did. We made more frogs. <laughs> <laughs> You're both fired. <laughs> we don't want more frogs, buddy. Take the frogs away. Wave your magic wand. Make them go hop along. <laughs> oh, we can't do that. We can only make things worse. And the way they would say it, they would say, we can only make things worser. <laughs> so one day they come in and they go, about the boils. So they stand before Pharaoh with the boils, Exodus chapter 8, and they say, uh, they got the boils, which was um, plague number six. And they're standing there and they said, hey, listen, Pharaoh, this is the hand of God. Give up, let these Jews go, right? Paul says, in the same way, Phygelus, Hermogenes, they've got a following. They've got some power. They've got power. It's limited. They're going to make things worse for a while. But as it was when Janus and Jambres came in and said, hey, we got boils, we want the Jews to go, God wins, we can't, we can't mess with their God. The same thing's coming for all false teachers and that it will be evident to all 
with God's judgment. And that's how he's trying to encourage them that way. And, and now for the don't have anything to do with them, I don't think that means write them off. I don't mean it, I don't think it means don't pray for them and don't care about their salvation. I think what he's talking about there is, is the privilege of Christian fellowship for a couple reasons. One, Christian fellowship, if I have fellowship with the bad guys, bad company corrupts good morals. So for Timothy's sake, you're not to have fellowship with them. Now, if God brings Phygelus by and you have a chance to share the gospel with him, share the gospel with him, but you're, you're, you're not having fellowship with him. What's the other reason? Your reputation, Timothy, your reputation for the church, your reputation of the scriptures, your reputation of the gospel, your Christian testimony. So you're locking arms with, the, you know, everybody's fine and I don't have problems with anybody. So you're out to lunch with Phygelus. And someone from the church sees you laughing and carrying on and breaking bread with a guy who, quote, distorts the truth, destroying the faith of some to draw away disciples after them. That's a quote of Phygelus. And you're breaking bread and having lunch and laughing and giving him fellowship. You're stamping approval and credibility on Phygelus. So use your discernment with him. Have nothing to do with them in that sense because of your own... <laughs> Vulnerabilities, it's dangerous stuff. And secondly, the, the reputation of the church. Let's continue on. You, verse 10. Let's stop talking about the bad guys and Paul saying, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, the persecutions I endured? Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, Timothy, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus is going to be persecuted. And these guys, these evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So, note takers, prepare yourself for perilous times. Uh, keep your distance from bad examples and then follow the good ones. Follow good examples. So enough about the bad guys, Timothy. You know, I just picture Paul imagining Timothy at the helm of a ship that's on a storm-tossed sea, kind of drowning in some aspects, wishing he could be there. And his heart goes out to Timothy. And he wants to encourage him and say, man, you're going to make it. In. You've got the guidance you need. I can't be there, but, but draw on our experience, our past experience, to get you through the troubled waters now. Let me kind of just paraphrase this that you have before you. Um, Timothy, focus, man. We've been here. We've done this. You've lived and traveled with me. You've ministered with me. You know all about me. 15 years, my way of life. We've worked together. You know everything I teach. You know that what's true. You know the gospel. You're not going to be swayed. You know how I live, practicing what I preach. You're not going to compromise. Uh, 
You know what my purpose was. Equipping Christians, saving the lost. You're not going to get distracted. You watched me and my faith in God in times of trouble. Your faith isn't going to fail. You've seen me endure to the end. You're not going to give up. You've seen the persecutions, man. How it never got the best of me. It's not going to get the best of you either. You've seen me suffer and not fall away and blame God and do that whole thing. Timothy, remember Antioch? Acts 13, 50. Those frenzied Jews who came into town and chased us out like a swarm of bees. You remember Iconium? Iconium, Acts 14, verse 5. Where they were plotting to execute me, but then the Lord revealed it, and we got out of town in the nick of time. Hey, you remember Lystra, buddy? Your hometown where we met, Acts chapter 16. But before that, when first they started worshiping us because they saw us do a miracle, they wanted to sacrifice a bull to me and Apollos. Well, what happened? Then they changed their minds and felt like we ripped them off, so they decided to stone us to death. You remember that, man? They stoned me for dead, dragged my lifeless body, Timothy, this is your hometown, out and left me for dead in a drainage ditch. And the disciples gathered around me and God raised me up. You remember that, Timothy? Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about Paul being transported up to heaven and seeing things he couldn't really talk about. So commentators believe he really died and God really raised him up. And that 2 Corinthians 12 there is about that experience. He's saying, Timothy, whatever you're facing, even though I'm not with you, son, we've been through every possible scenario that you will face. And I want you to draw upon that experience. You'll know how to teach. You'll know what to say. You'll know how to be patient. You'll know how to think of these troubles that have come upon you. And, 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 and he's saying, listen, look it. God has brought me all the way to the end through all of that. And here I'm still writing letters. <laughs> I'm still writing the word of God, man. In the same way, Timothy, you will make it, listen, to the day God has appointed for you to live out your life. You, nothing In all creation, it's going to stop that from happening, Timothy. You're going to reach that day, and you will finish well. Because look, you have the experience to draw upon. Follow good examples, man. Now let's finish up. 14. But as for you, now continue, Timothy, in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you've learned it, and how from infancy, from childhood, You've known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So he's saying, continue in the word of God. So here they are. Prepare your mind for action, man. Ready yourself. Number two, 
keep a healthy distance between you and divisive people. Three, follow good examples. And fourthly, continue in the word of God. Now, Paul is is saying, listen, I want you to follow good examples, but let me tell you what the secret of those lives is, that they are people who live out the word of God, and that's what you need to do. In contrast to the false teachers, he's saying, listen, you've got the scriptures. You don't need new ideas. So Phygelus and Philetus and Hermogenes, they've come in, and they said, we need to rethink some things. We need to be re-enlightened. We need to reimagine, right? He says, man, you've got all scriptures God breathed. It's the life of God. You've got everything you need. You don't need to listen to their new ideas or their new takes on what the gospel is. You have it all here because the scriptures are God breathed. What a beautiful verse. Listen, <laughs> there, nobody can take away the great significance and the supernatural uh, awesomeness of the Bible. 66 books written over a period of 1,800 years, over 60 generations by more than 40 different authors, three different continents, in different circumstances and cultures and places and times, in three different languages, One voice, one story. It's a supernatural, God-breathed work. And there are two people, two kinds of people in the world. The saved and those who will perish. The saved believe God breathed the scriptures. And the damned do not believe it. It's a book written by men. Listen, it was written by the pen of a man holding the quill. But 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21 says, above all else know this, that no scripture has its origin in any man, but the Holy Spirit carried along holy men of old who wrote as the Spirit gave them utterance. It's 1 Peter Chapter 1 and verse 20 and 21. This is a supernatural book. It is majesty. It's the most published and popular book ever written. Um, it, is, uh, it was the first book ever translated in the entire world. And it's been translated into more languages than any other book in existence. And the Bible has had a greater influence on culture and literature than any other book in all of history. Hundreds of prophecies have come to pass. Hundreds. There's 300 about Jesus. You could just look it up. These people didn't even know what they were talking about 700 years before Christ comes, and they're talking about crucifixion that didn't even exist. You can just look it up. God breathed. And so he goes on and he says, this is the life of God, the God who spoke heaven and and." and earth into existence, who formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed in his nostrils the breath of life so that man became a living soul. It's him. That's his word. And so Timothy says things that, uh, you know, the understatement of the year, God breathed, uh, all scriptures God breathed in is useful. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Teaching, 
to teach us the way to live rebuking. It was just a slap to put us in our place so that we can be saved. You know, I'm God, you're not, kind of thing. Uh, correcting us off a path that leads to destruction and to the path of life. And training in righteousness means how to live right and please God who made all things so that when we arrive before his throne, things would go well. And look at the point. He says, Timothy, here's the point. The scriptures equip you to serve God so that your life will not be in vain or a waste. You are designed by God to do things and the scriptures will help you know who you are, what he wants, who he is, and how to do things in a way that's effective and productive and blessing. That's what the scriptures are for. But for me, personally, the supernatural quality of the word of God is what's captured my heart. I mean, that's what started this whole thing. When I was 19 years old, I was on a bus, godless, immoral, unbelieving teenager, 19, just partying my life away. And I'm, I'm on a bus and I look, and I'm, I've told this story a lot, but I look out and a church marquee says, come to me all who are weary. It was like an arrow. Touched my heart. Why should I care what a stupid church marquee has up there? I had nothing, no desire for anything Christian. But it's alive. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is alive and active. It's not like reading Huckleberry Finn. <laughs> There's something deeper than the words on the page. There's this power and life of God that unlocks the human heart. It turned my, my whole head turned and my body and my heart longed for this rest. And I, I remember thinking I'm 19 years old. Why, why should I want to, to, why am I feeling weary? Why is that voice? It felt like, you know, the scene from uh, Casp King, Prince Caspian. <laughs> In the beginning of that movie, Chronicles of Narnia, there's a picture, there's a portrait, and the kids are walking by it, and they start to look at it, and they hear like, Lucy, Peter. That sounded good, by the way. <laughs> That sounded like Aslan, right? And, and they stop and they, look at the mo and they look at the picture and the boat is on the sea and the boat looks like it's moving and there's something drawing them. And they get sucked in to this kingdom. That's what the word, the word of God to me, it just woos the soul and it's like, what is going on? Who cares about a marquee? Why is my whole life changing? Because I read some little sentence on a church marquee, but it started me hungering. I want to know that voice. I want to know that voice. I was in a food for less, talking to some guy, and it turned spiritual. It happens. <laughs> and I... <laughs> I said to him in the conversation, I use this a lot because it demonstrates this point. I said, Mike, listen, if God is for us, who could be against us? And he goes, <laughs> he goes, what? What was that? I go, if God is for us, who could be against us? He goes, oh, where did you get that? I, 
He goes, that's, that's like, that's powerful. And, and he goes, I'm going to go home and tell my girlfriend that. And I go, good. <laughs> he goes, that's something you would gather your family together like at Thanksgiving, and you would say, if God is for us, who could be against us? And I'm like, you're getting the idea. And he goes, and he's going on, and I go, listen, Mike, chill out. I can get you a book filled with all of those, right? So, what, what, what is it about that sentence? I'll tell you what it is about that sentence. It's because no man wrote that sentence. That sentence was birthed in a place beyond us, in the beginning and the end. The Alpha and Omega thought of that. And when somebody hears that, when the spirit is moving and the heart is right and the moment is there, they're like, what was that? What was that? That's called God's voice to your soul. He's for you, Mike. He's for you. Lastly, last little thing. For me, the word of God. When I got a sliver in my soul, I got a shard of something stuck down deep where, where my soul and my spirit is, where no therapist could ever reach. I know I tried. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm laying in bed and I just feel trapped and broken and weak and scared and, and, and confused, and I go through and I'm looking through the Psalms and bam, I connect with the, the voice, the breath, that power. It goes into that place where heart and soul and mind and he takes the tweezers and he gets that little shard of whatever it is with the infection and he pulls it out. And then I go, Oh, how did that happen? How did it? And then he puts, he leaves in its wake a, a healing medicinal bomb that came down from heaven designed for the human that he created us. And it just soothes it. The infection subsides. And I have this peace that doesn't make sense. You know how many times that I have had a sliver painful, horrible, beyond words, can't even talk about the issue. Deep and dark and ugly and demonic and blah, and tormenting. And the word of God goes, let me in there. Let me get a hold of that thing. And I'll rip it out by its roots. And inside, I'll fill it up with healthy wholeness and peace. I don't know where I'd be without the word of God. I don't know. I, I know where I'd be. I'd be in a crazy ward. I would be in an, a mental institution. That's where I would be. I'm not kidding. My wife said amen. I heard that. <laughs> And guess who would be right by my side? <laughs> In bed, too. <laughs> who do you think gets you to underestimate 
the effective power available to you by getting you to neglect the breath of God that heals you, delivers you, cleanses you, saves you. Who do you think's behind that? Don't read it tomorrow. Oh, don't, no, you've got something going on. Cell phone goes off, but you got the book open. Just, just open the book, the cell phone will ring. Yeah. Open the book, the baby will cry. Open the book, the husband will say, I'm hungry. <laughs> Do not neglect this. Treasure it, read it, memorize it, love it, and ask God to change your heart to love it and to want to desire to read it. You're getting a blessing even when you don't think you are. That's the truth of the word of God. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we, we just want to follow your example, Lord. We want to follow Paul's example, Lord. What a, what a man of God. We want to follow the example of the Word of God, Lord. We want to have it in our hearts and to know it and to obey it. So bless us now as we come to you and worship and seal these truths in our hearts as we come near to you now in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.